If you would, turn with me to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. We're going to look at verses 37 and 38 in a moment. We already read them at the start of service, but we're going to read them again. It's going to be our springboard into what we're going to discuss this morning. Luke 6, verse 37 and 38. There are certain things that we know belong together, right? In fact, you could probably complete uh, these things that go together. Peanut butter and? Okay. Hamburgers and? Hot dogs, okay, we just, some of us got different things that go there. Cats and dogs. Uh, macaroni and? I don't know how you can have macaroni without cheese or pasta without some kind of sauce, right? They just have to go together. Biscuits and? Gravy, right. See, there are certain things that go together, and they just aren't, they're not the same, they're not right if those two things aren't together. There, there's another thing that goes together. And, and what goes together is what Jesus is referring to in Luke chapter 6. And if you would, look with me there again. I read that when we started. I'll read that again. Luke 6, verse 37 and 38, Jesus says, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and it will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Now, I want to note, before we read that last sentence there, that He's saying different elements, judge, do not judge, uh, condemn, do not condemn, forgive, do not forgive, and forgive, uh, give in general, and then in response to that, he makes this statement. So it's not just simply giving in a, in a financial way, it's giving of ourselves. It's the way we are with other people. And the way we are with other people affects this statement. Again, verse 38, good measure pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap, for with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And so the way we are with others, it comes back to us, and what belongs together, like peanut butter and jelly and macaroni and cheese, what belongs together is my, my flourishing, the well-being of my life is tied to yours. And the well-being of your life is tied to mine. In fact, think about the things that you wish or would like to happen in your life. Think about how many of those things are dependent upon other people. Okay, Whether you want, want to have a good marriage or even be married, well, there has to be somebody else that enters into that picture, right? Okay, if we want to have a healthy family, uh, if we want to be connected, if we have some peace and quiet even, that depends on other people, right? Whether or not they're willing to give peace and quiet. And unfortunately, we tend to like to see instant results, but that's not really the way this works. Uh, we don't notice it right away, but if we are not linked with and doing our part, other people's lives are lacking, and the same for ours. Think about it this way. If, if you've ever been in a place where you've just been giving and giving and giving and giving and giving and giving, and you're not receiving anything back for it, nothing at all, right? And we, we're supposed to be selfless givers, right? But at some point, if we just keep giving and giving, like if you've ever tried to give affection and attention to someone, and you're giving it and giving it, and just never a response, never a response, at some point, what begins to happen? You know, we give up, we get burnt out. We just, I can't give anymore. Because, not that we're not supposed to be selfish, but because God has designed us to be intertwined with each other. That it just, we, we lose the energy and the momentum to keep giving if we do not receive anything at some point. Also, on the other side, however, sometimes if we get so self-focused on, I have to make sure that I'm comfortable, my needs are met, I have to take care of myself. What is that saying? Look out for number one. Who's number one? You in that phrase, right? And so if we're fo so focused on making sure that we're happy and everything's the way we want them to be, what most people discover at some point, and there's been numerous testimonies of celebrities who have attained fame and fortune and, or, or wealthy people that have attained fortune and they reach at some point in their lives, they stop and they think, this is all empty. Like, I, I don't know if there's uh, anything more than this. I don't, like, I feel meaningless and empty. And the reason is because we're intertwined with each other. And when we just live for ourselves, we never truly find satisfaction that way either. Because given, it will be given to you. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Do not judge lest you be judged. 
our well-being is tied to one another. Isn't that frustrating at times? Don't you wish that God just made us self-sufficient and we just didn't need anybody else? That's not the way he made us. We will not thrive, flourish. We will not be satisfied, fulfilled, unless we learn how to interact with one another. And the part of that interaction involves the way we're truly going to find fulfillment is to live for the mission that God has for our lives. If we live out the mission of the church, we will begin to find ourselves landing in a spot where we are content with the way things are, and other people begin to be impacted. In fact, Jesus said that. He said, you are the what? The salt and the light. And we are that so that people will see our what? Good works or good deeds. Okay, So God wants us to bring good into other people's lives. And when we have this exchange going, life begins to flourish. So this morning, we're going to continue. We've been talking about our mission, and we're going to continue that this is, this is the, the end of that discussion. Now, we'll continue talking about what our mission is as a church ongoing, but as far as the theme for the message, this is the end of that. And today's, a, like last week, it's a, it's a different kind of message. I, I'm going to be talking with you guys about what it is that we're doing and why we're doing the things that we're doing. And, and we've walked through a few me- several messages so far. Uh, we've talked about how we're developers All of us are responsible for developing the faith of those that are around us. That's what we're trying to do is help people develop and grow in their faith. We have to know how to communicate that by understanding the the powerful impact of the gospel message. It's not just simply that we're going to heaven, but when Jesus comes into our life, it radically transforms our lives. Can anybody raise your hand and testify that that's been you? You've encountered Christ and he's radically transformed your life. Okay, we got some work to do, only a few of you. We'll see how that works later on. We have to understand that and be able to communicate that. Then we talked about the need to be spiritually determined and focused. When we try to do the work of the ministry, it's really easy, you know that. It's really easy to get someone on board with following Christ. It's really easy to get someone to live the right way. Isn't that the way it is? No, it's really hard and and it takes a lot of work and sometimes there's not much in return and things go very slowly. And we if we don't get determined that we're going to keep doing the mission, we will we will bail on it at some point because it's not an easy road. We also have to be focused and, and in our society today it's very hard to stay focused on anything, isn't it? And we can easily get distracted by things that don't matter so much, like maybe TV or, or our phones and those kind of things. Or sometimes we get, dis- get distracted from our mission from things that do matter, like our jobs and our homes and our families. And all those things are important, but we have to figure out how to at some point get back to what is my mission on this earth and how do I live that out? Uh, we talked about the key ingredient of spiritual maturity, that we don't want it just a transaction. We don't just want to get them to say a sinner's prayer or come to church. We want them to become full, growing disciples, followers of Jesus Christ. And then we talked about the need to have resources to make that happen. Uh, one person's not going to make it happen. Okay? We need multiple people adding their service, their time, their financial resources to be able to, to give us what we have need of to carry out this task. And that's what lands us on where we are today. And I want to ask you a question. Why are we here today? I know we might say, well, we're here to worship God, and that's true. We are here to worship God. But why, why did we come together today here? We could worship God at home. We, why did we come here today? We can pray other places, right? Why did we come in this building today? Was it, was it because, you know, we like singing songs, so that's why we came today? Was it because we like hanging out with certain people, and that's why we came today? Uh, someone's relying on me, and that's why I came. Why is it that we keep gathering together as a church? What is it that we're trying to do? What is it that we're trying to achieve with the help of the Lord? And I think it's important for us to know, what is that? You know, like, uh, do you ever wonder that sometimes? Do you ever do things in your life, and you're asking yourself, why am I doing this? I don't even know what the meaning of this is. Like, if you have kids in your house, and you try to clean an area in your house, you think, I don't know why I keep cleaning that area. Keeps getting messed up five minutes later, right? Why do I keep cleaning that? 
And we sometimes spiritually, we, we go through certain motions and we don't know why it is that we're doing what we're doing. Why do we witness to people? Why do we have Wednesday night? Why are we doing the things that we're doing? Well, the, the primary thing is that we want people to go to heaven, right? We want people, and we want to land there, right? Not that we're working our way there, but uh, anybody want to volunteer to go to the other destination rather than heaven? I don't know. So, so we want to land on heaven. That's where we want to ultimately get. But in order for us to land on heaven, and John 15, Jesus talks about this, that if we abide in Christ, then he will abide in us. And we know that just simply saying, yay, Jesus, or slapping a bumper sticker on your car, or wearing the t-shirt, or listening to Caleb, well, except that one. If you listen to Caleb, you're going to heaven. That's, we know that it's more than that, right? We know that we are saved by grace through faith. Now, some of us don't really understand what faith in Christ means. Faith in Christ does not just simply mean that Jesus existed. Okay? James talks about that even the demons believe that God exists, and they shudder in, in lieu of their condemnation. And so it's not a faith like I believe that Jesus exists, though it includes that. It's a faith in that I trust Jesus with my life. Have you ever said you have faith in somebody? Or ever heard the saying, you know, have faith in the process or uh, have faith in this group? Uh, when we say faith in that context, we mean we trust that person or that organization or that approach. And so saved by grace through faith means someone who trusts Jesus with their lives, which means that if I trust Jesus with my life, then I'm going to live the way he tells me to live because that must be the right way and the best way to live. I'm going to view the world the way he tells me to view the world. And if we understand that aspect of faith, we might be able to understand the relationship between faith and works. Because, see, when we get saved, it's not that we, well, I'm going to make sure I do all the works and I check all the boxes and now I'm going to heaven because I did all the right stuff. No, it's because we decided to trust Jesus with our lives and out of that trust, we do certain things because of that. That's just what we do when we trust Jesus. And so when we understand that, we know that we're not just trying to get people to believe in Jesus and go to heaven. We're trying to get them to have a trust-based relationship with Jesus, right? And now it becomes more than just simply, let's get people to heaven. Let's get people having a healthy, thriving, right, trust-based relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, however, we don't realize, that's okay, that's one of my kids. He will uh, cease to exist in a moment. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, it's tough in here, right? Uh, what we will discover is when we enter into a trust-based relationship with Christ, there's something that begins to happen in our lives that we actually like. And many of you have experienced that. That some of the heavenly benefits that we're awaiting begin to be experienced in this earthly life. And Jesus talks about those in John 15 when he tells us about that idea of abiding, abiding in Christ. He tells us in verses 2, 4 to 5, 8 and 16, he tells us that if we abide in Christ, we will bear fruit. We will be productive. We will experience a meaningful life if we are abiding in Jesus Christ. He also tells us in verse 3, this is, think about this statement for a minute. I think it's lost on us when we just think of these few words for a moment. In verse 3, he says, already you are clean. Are any of us truly morally clean? I mean, if we even just think about our life prior to Christ, right? We've done a lot of things wrong in our lives prior to Christ, and we are not clean because of that. But Jesus looks at the disciples and says, you are clean. We also know that he makes provisions for if we, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And we have a advocate with the Father, right? So we know that we're going to ongoing still have problems. Look at someone next to you and say, I'm a mess still. Okay? We still have some issues, uh, and we have stuff to work out still. But Jesus, and this is only because of the work of the cross, he looks at us who have been a hot mess in the past, and us who are still kind of struggling through this now, and he looks at us and says, you are clean. Think about that for a moment. We are free from the judgment 
the condemnation, the guilt and shame that many times we try to put back on ourselves, we are free from that because we abide in Christ. That's the beauty of what we... Isn't that amazing about God? It would have been enough if He would have just given us heaven coming someday to us. But He gives us more than that. He also talks about in verse 9 and 10 and 12 through 17, He talks about Him welcoming us in as His friends and loving and accepting us. And how many people in the world want love and acceptance? And we find that when we abide in Christ. In verses 10 to 12, he talks about us receiving the transformed life. How many of us just want to be different and kind of tired of ourselves in the way that we are and we would love to be transformed? That is found in abiding in Christ. Verse 11, he mentions joy. Verse 16, he references hope. Verses 18 to 27, and if we go over to chapter 16, verse 33, he references the idea of having peace no matter what the circumstances are that we are in. And so what we begin to discover is, what are we after for ourselves and others? We want to land in heaven. But how are we going to land there? What are we truly after? A trust-based relationship with Christ. And if we are in a trust-based relationship with Christ, what else are we actually inviting people into? To experience many of the expressions of the benefits we'll have to the fullness in heaven to begin experiencing them now. But not only the heavenly benefits, but also there are some earthly benefits to following Christ. And no, I'm not saying that if you get right with Christ, you will have that Lamborghini that you've always wanted. Nor will you get a key to the mansion that you've always wanted. Now, how many of you are like, I would never want a mansion. I wouldn't have to clean up that thing, right? Okay? Okay? But not saying that we'll get everything. But our lives actually, our earthly lives actually improve when we find ourselves in alignment with God's will and purpose for our lives. We see Jesus reference that in the Sermon on the Mount. In chapter 5, verse 4 of Matthew, he references the reception of comfort. In verse 6, satisfaction. Throughout chapter 5, he teaches us to live a certain way. Think about this. If you are around people who live this way, would your, not life, would your life not be better because of encountering these people? He talks about in 5 verse 16 that we are be doing good works to other people. And uh, later down in chapter 5, he talks about us not murdering, but going beyond that and not even being angry and not insulting those around us, but seeking to be reconciled with others. He talks about not committing adultery and not even lusting in our heart, not committing divorce. He talks about being honest. He talks about giving. He talks about loving, even loving our enemies. Now think about encountering somebody like that. Would our lives not be the better for encountering people like that? Jesus teaches us and instructs us to live in such a way that our earthly life even becomes better. Now, that's how great God is, that it would be good enough if he just said, hey, at the end of your life, you're getting heaven. But he gives us even more. That's why there's a saying, you cannot outgive God, right? That's why we read Jesus' statement in Luke 6, that if we give, we will receive, pressed down, shaken, running over, and all of that stuff, because this is what God has for us. In Matthew chapter 6, verse 11 and 25 to 34, he talks about provisions, that we do not need to be anxious about our needs because our Father knows our needs and He will meet those needs. And we should be able to ask, give us this day our daily bread, be anxious for nothing, seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And these things are earthly provisions. He talks about, uh, sets us up in motion for healthy relationships and being forgiven. Uh, in chapter 7, he talks about not judging uh, and he sets us up in a place to have healthier relationships. He also, in chapter 7, verse 7 through 11, gives us an option that the world can't provide and the world doesn't even believe in. He gives us a supernatural option if we get pressed into a corner. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open. And so if we live a life, tell me if this isn't true. If a person chooses to live out God's will, purpose, and mission for their lives, will not their earthly lives be for the better? Okay. Not perfect. Jesus says in this world you will have trials and people will persecute us. But earthly life will be better abiding in Christ than not being in Christ. Now, here is what we're offering initially. Now, on the back of your, your handout, there are three circles. And 
I'm still praying. Us and the leadership team are still praying with exact wording. But what I'd like for you to do is in that first circle on the, on the left, write connect somewhere around it. And then the second circle, develop. And the third, thrive. Connect, develop, thrive. And this morning, what I'm going to do is explain to us exactly what that means. And this is what we're pursuing as a church. We're pursuing connect, develop, and thrive. Now, the thrive part is what I just described. Not only does Jesus want to offer us eternal life, but he wants to give us an abundant life. And we might say, well, I think that the the heaven part of that is the more important part, and that's true, right? It's more, if we had a blessed earthly life and we didn't get to heaven, that's not a good exchange, right? Okay, so heaven is the more important part of that journey. But I want to think about the way the Bible communicates following God and throughout the, its communication to us, there is always touching on our earthly needs. At the beginning with Moses, Moses, God had Moses say, today I set before you a, anybody know this? A blessing and a curse. Choose one of these two options. And the way we would receive the blessing or the curse is to walk in God, blessing, to refuse to walk in God, curse. When we get to the New Testament and Jesus begins to speak publicly, he begins to assure us that God will take care of our earthly needs. And he also says, those, who you, those of you who are weary and heavy laden, come and take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Or he also says, those of you who are tired, come to seek me and I will give you rest. Jesus wants to do good things in our earthly life, and he communicates that. Think about when we get to the, the book of Acts, the way they began to live. Uh, in fact, now I wish that we could do this as, as easy as they did. They, they seem to operate in the miraculous more often than we did. But when there was the beggar that the disciples, the apostles ran into, they said, silver and gold, we have none, but what I have I give to you. And what did he tell them to do? Arise and walk. They met the earthly issue that was before them. They were selling their property and putting all the money together to take care of needs. Paul later would write in Philippians 4, he says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication present your request before God. And what? And the God of peace will transcend all understanding and guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So not only does God want to offer us, and not only does he not just communicate the eternal life, he communicates the, the blessings and benefits of Christ in the earthly sense. That's the way the Bible speaks. Now, we have to make sure we communicate this effectively. Okay? We don't want to be like those TV preachers who say, just come and say yes to Jesus and all your troubles are going to go away. Okay? We don't want to communicate because that's not true. We don't want to communicate that we'll never have any health issues as long as we have enough faith. Have you ever encountered people like that? We tell you if you're having health issues because of your lack of faith or there's some sin issue in your life. And sometimes those things affect those things, but we want to make sure we're communicating the truth. But one thing I know is true, your marriage will be more healthy if you surrender to the will and purposes that God has for your life. And if you live out the principles and teachings of Scripture, your relationships will be better for it. Now, I know sometimes people will get more irritated with you because they don't like the, the new you. But other people will, I mean, you think about, if we just encounter the people that Jesus describes us to be in Matthew chapter 5, who would not want to be around that person? Okay, the relationships get better. If we follow the teachings of Proverbs about finances, uh, it doesn't mean we'll be wealthy, but we'll be able to, as Paul describes in Philippians 4, we'll be able to be content with whatever circumstances that we are in uh, because of the work of God in our lives. And so we need to not only, and that's why it's that word thrive. We need to understand what I mean by the word thrive. I mean the flourishing of human life in this life and in the life to come. We, people should want what we're offering. Okay, we shouldn't be going out there and saying, you should come to church and you should do a lot of stuff for us because we need people to carry some stuff around. We're getting older and, and we, need, we need more people to do stuff because we've just done enough stuff and we need someone to come and do stuff and, and when you do it, you'll get real tired of it and you just go, you'll be like me, real kind of cranky and irritable, but I don't do all that stuff all the time. So don't you want to come and join us? No, no, that's not the offer or 
you should come and follow us because if you follow us, you're going to be persecuted and your life is going to be miserable. You want to come to my church? No, I don't know if I want to come to that church. But if we let people know that we're on a mission, you and I were on a mission, and our mission is to pursue the most amount of human flourishing possible because that's what God has for us. We need to understand the complete picture of that, but we want to pursue thriving, the thriving of human life. But how do we, how do we pursue that? Just keep having services week after week, and that's how you do that. You know, if, if pastor would just preach the right sermons, then we would have a lot of thriving. If people would give enough, then we would have enough thriving. Or is there something more than that? And it might include some of those things, but how do we pursue this thriving? And we talked about that a few weeks ago, that the way we pursue this thriving is through pursuing maturity in our faith. Because listen, if someone decides they're going to start coming to church, but how many know that just because someone walks in this church doesn't mean they're following Christ? Okay? If you walk into your garage, do you become a car? No, we don't become a car because we walk in a garage. Or if I walk into a hospital, I'm not a surgeon just because I walked in. Okay, so just because we're in the room doesn't mean we're a follower of Christ and we're walking in those things. We might genuinely believe in Jesus, but how many know there's people that would genuinely believe in Jesus, but they're not living the way Scripture teaches them to live? And we cannot encounter the flourishing and thriving that God wants for our lives and others if we don't actually walk in the whole picture. That's why when Jesus gave the Great Commission, he didn't say, go into all the world and get them to start listening to Caleb. He didn't say, go into all the world and slap a bumper sticker on their car to say, Jesus is Lord. He said, go into all the world and make disciples. And what he meant by making disciples is get them to come to church and get them to sing some songs, right? No, he actually explained what he meant by that, didn't he? Make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And so if we want to pursue thriving for ourselves and others, then what we need to do to pursue that is we need to pursue spiritual maturity. We need to grow and mature in our faith and become everything that God wants us to be. And that's no easy task, is it, to become that. And that's why Jesus designed the church because we cannot pursue that maturity on our own. It's not possible. We need to back to that whole idea of we, there's two things that have to go together. Us, people, we have to work together if we're going to have this. We cannot become what God wants us to be without us working with the other people in the body of Christ. And the way that we pursue that, and I have those references are there you can read, read later, but in particular, Ephesians 4. In Ephesians 4, uh, Paul describes the process of maturity, and there's four general areas that he describes. One of them is our personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and we walk in that relationship through general practices or habits that we know or we call them spiritual disciplines, our prayer life, our study of Scripture, and our involvement in the life of the church. And so we want to have this connection with the Lord. And we could be doing a lot of other stuff, but if we're not connected with Christ, in fact, isn't that what he said in John 15? abide in in christ okay so if we don't have that then that needs something needs to be addressed there because we're not where we need to be if we're not abiding in christ secondly he mentions character that we grow up to the fullness of the stature of christ that we're supposed to have christ-like character then he mentions uh doctrine or theology or sound thinking have you ever met people that you're like I, that person doesn't think right you ever met people like that that person doesn't think straight okay and if we don't think straight, a lot of things fall out of place. Have you ever seen people that don't think straight and you see their lives kind of fall, fall to pot because of that? Okay, We need to think straight, and Jesus wants us to think straight. That's why we have doctrine and we have theology. And then he wants us to be serving in ministry, serving, servicing the, the mission of the gospel. And so if what happens is, and I've, I've seen this happen, you got a guy who is, has a wonderful prayer life and is studying Scripture, and that guy's involved in so much ministry, and they can explain anything and everything in the Bible. But they have a lousy character. They're impatient. They're rude. They're impulsive. They're not very loving. That's a maturity issue. Okay? So if I have the other three, but that part, there's something wrong there, that is still a lack of maturity, even though I have the other three going. If I am involved in ministry, and, I, and I, my character is good, I'm acting right, and, and my theology is correct, 
but I, my prayer life and my study of Scripture isn't really happening, that's a lack of maturity. Anywhere that we're lacking in those areas means there's a lack of maturity. And we want to make sure that we are maturing and developing in our faith. That's why we use that word develop, to be developed in our faith. And the ways that we're trying to do that as Bethel, there's five, five ways we're trying to do that to disciple. The Sunday morning message, which is what you're experiencing right now. The Wednesday night discussion group, when many of you know, at least know about it, if you haven't experienced it yourself. The, the disciple video series, which is on our YouTube channel. And the spiritual strategy course and the one-to-one network that we mentioned earlier. Now, we provide those different things because anytime you decide to focus on one area, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, if you zero in on one thing, you become blinded to the other things around you, right? But you become really good at that one thing, right? So it's hard to be able to focus on everything. And the discipleship picture is a very large picture. So it's hard to effectively do all the discipleship things in one focus. But the problem is some people in, in other churches, not this church, have a tendency to place all discipleship hanging on the Sunday morning message. That every bit of discipleship that needs to happen has to happen in the Sunday morning message. Well, there's a problem with that, and and that is, first of all, there are weaknesses to the Sunday morning message, and I don't mean my preaching, whatever your opinions might be, Uh, but there is a weakness just in general to Sunday morning preaching, no matter who the preacher is, and that is that there is a lack of clarity in the Sunday morning message because you guys aren't asking any questions, right? And we're not clarifying anything through discussion. There's no clarity. You might ask me something later, but how often do you guys come and ask me a question about the message, right? We just, most of us, we, what we do is we decide we have to run out of here like the plague because we don't want anybody to talk to us before the service ends, right? Okay? But there's no questions. There's no interactions. There's no clarification. There's no, and, and what really gets lost in that is there's no clear application on how I need to respond to what was taught in the Word. And because of that, we've provided the Wednesday night discussion group. Because in that context, there is discussion. There are questions. There are sharing of different ideas. And, and so the strength of Wednesday is the weakness of Sunday morning. But what is strong about Sunday morning that's not strong on Wednesday is when a lot of people are, are discussing, uh, that takes up time, right? And so we can't get through as much content as we're discussing and getting clarification, which is fine. That's the strength of Wednesday night. But on Sunday morning, there isn't that discussion, so we can get in a lot more content because of that, and that's the strength of Sunday morning. Another limitation to both Sunday and Wednesday is, with the exception of streaming, Sunday and Wednesday is location-based and time-based, right? And so if my work schedule conflicts, I can't participate in those things. If I have a logistic transportation issue, I can't participate in those things. And so we provide things like the the Disciple video series on YouTube. So no matter when you're not working, you work with on your own schedule and wherever you are, as long as you have access to the internet and a device to do so, that discipleship material is available to you. So there's a reason why that is there. But also, on Sunday morning, I don't know if you noticed this, uh, even though we're a small church, the most amount of people that we have at any time and the things that we do is on Sunday morning. That's, when people, that's why people want me to do all their announcements on Sunday morning. That's why people want me to preach their favorite subject on Sunday morning because that's when the most amount of people are there. And the disadvantage of that is we're, all, we're a blended group here, okay? We're all varying degrees of spiritual maturity. And I want you to look at the person next to you and say, but I'm the mature one. We're, we're all to varying, degree, varying levels of commitment, right? We, we vary on our level of commitment. Now, I want you to look at the person next to you and say, but I'm one of the committed ones. Now, be careful what you mean by that because there might be a straitjacket scenario involved, but I'm one of the committed ones. But if we're honest with ourselves, at least if we admit that if someone comes in and they're here for the first time, they're going to lack a certain level of commitment that maybe some of us who have been here 10, 20, 30 years, Right? And the spiritual maturity level is different. And our goal to make disciples, we can't make a disciple if they're not with us, right? We cannot disciple a person that's not connected to us. And so on Sunday morning, a lot of the messages have to have some kind of relevancy to our earthly lives. 
And because of that, it kind of uh, dictates a little bit about what is preached. Does that mean I don't preach the Bible? I hope that you know that's not true. Does that mean we don't confront sin and, and, and spiritual issues? I hope you know that's not true. But I, I hope you've noticed with the way I do applications on Sunday morning, the goal is this message has to be relevant to people's lives. Otherwise, if they have that low-level commitment, that low-level spiritual maturity, they're not going to come if there's not anything that's useful to my earthly life. And so I have to do that, which means that it's not likely you'll ever hear me preach a Sunday morning sermon on the Trinity. But the Trinity is an important doctrine, isn't it? And we need to understand the Trinity. And so because of that, we have Wednesday, or we have the Disciple YouTube series, or the Spiritual Strategy course, where some of those things that aren't as clearly relevant to our earthly lives are going to be taught, and all those bases are going to be covered. And if all we're doing is receiving Sunday morning message, we're losing the clarity of Wednesday, and we're using, losing the touch all the bases of the video series as well as the spiritual strategy course. But also, if you've ever been in a group, anybody not comfortable with talking in a group of people? Anybody? Okay. Anybody, you know, it's interesting. There's some people that will talk and talk and talk one-on-one, but you get them in a group of four people, just four, and all of a sudden their mouth is like a vice. There's nothing coming out of their mouth. And also what's interesting is those same four people, they were just talking to in front of everybody just a minute ago. And once you make an official discussion begin, not saying anything. Especially if how many of us are a little bit timid about expressing our weaknesses or the things that we're struggling with or the things we're not sure about, okay? Even if it's just two other people that are in the room. Or maybe it's we were comfortable with all those other eight people. It's that other guy. If he wasn't here, I'd say everything, right? Okay? And that is the dynamic of even though Wednesday night opens some things up, some people are still not going to get that clarity, especially specific only to them, because also Wednesday night, we can't just focus on just one person, right? Nobody else is going to stay if every week it's just this person's personal therapy session, right? Okay? And so because of that, we provide the one-to-one network. And the goal is there is to provide one-to-one mentoring to where there can be a little bit more openness there, and there could be stuff that's targeted just specifically to that individual. And do you see how we miss out on the discipleship process if we're only utilizing one of these areas? Okay? Uh, I'm guessing the silence there is either conviction is strongly setting in, or I lost your attention for a moment there. Um, But that's why we do those things. And so when we are inviting people into that, we're not doing that just because we want more people on our Wednesday night program. We're not trying to invite people to church because we we need more people in this church and we want more energy. And uh, like I joked before, and and I joke sarcastically, but sometimes I joke about things that that have been literal things said. We need more younger people in this church so people can physically move stuff around for us. And and that would be great, yes, but that's not why we're doing this mission, right? And if we can understand why we're doing this, and why do we want them to develop in their faith? Because their life, not only in the eternal sense, which we know that one for sure, but in the earthly sense, their life will be better if they develop in their faith. And the way we're pursuing that is by discipling others in their faith. And so when you interact with people, invite them in on this whole process, the whole thing, Sunday, Wednesday, the the one-to-one program, the whole thing, because we want the full maturity of our faith, right? We don't want to be lagging behind and missing anything that God wants to do in our lives. We want the full thing. And so we we want thriving, and we're going to pursue that through development, and also the way we're going to get there is through connection. And I had mentioned this already, we can't disciple someone unless they're with us, right? And so we need to get connected with other people, and there's five different ways that we do that. One is the Sunday morning service. Now, like it or not, Sunday morning service is both a believer service and an outreach. It's just the way our culture is now. If someone's spiritually interested, if they're interested in Christianity, where are they going to begin that search? Apart from Google might come first, actually, now. But after they've Googled it, where are they going to land at some point? At church. And are they going to come to the men's breakfast first? Maybe, but probably not most people. Are they going to come on Wednesday night first? Maybe, but probably not most people. Where are they going to come? Sunday morning. And so Sunday morning, we're going to have people here that, like I said, varying commitment levels, varying spiritual maturity. And think about this for a second. Look at the person next to you, unless you're married to them. Okay, so you two don't count. 
Look at the person next to you. Yeah, someone on the other side. How much do you really know about the depth of their relationship with Christ? How well do you know them to truly know that they are mature in their faith? How well do we know that? And we might say, well, they've been here for years, so certainly they're mature in their faith. That's not necessarily a given, okay? And, well, certainly they've been coming to this church for 20 years. They're not leaving. That's also not a given either. And so we need to remember that this space, this time, this moment that we're in is when we encounter the most amount of people. More than any other event we do, even more than any other outreach we do on average, we encounter the most people here. And the reason why we do things like the Sunday ministry team and the why, we, why we put food out at the end and try to get people to fellowship, why we invite people to make connections, social connections, uh, why, we, why we try to do that stuff is because we want to connect with them. Because if we don't connect with them, they're not staying. And if they don't stay, we can't disciple them. And so Sunday morning, I'm not just saying this just so that you guys will talk more. In fact, sometimes I need you to talk less, like when I'm trying to start the service and we're all excited and talking and I understand that we're excited, but whatever. Uh, so I'm not just trying to get us to talk more. I'm not trying to just break you of your introverted habit, okay? What I'm trying to do is get us to achieve the mission, and I think the mission's worth pursuing. And it's worth getting over our social anxiety and our, our discomfort to advance this mission. We also make connections through events and activities. After service, there's a ladies' group, connection group that's meeting after service. We have a couple of groups that do that. We have a men's prayer breakfast that meets together. And we're not getting together just so we can eat some good food, although the food's usually pretty good. Uh, we're not getting together just to hang out, although we're doing that and the fellowship is great. We're getting together to try to establish connections so that we can encourage people to jump into the discipleship process. Uh, we do that also by challenges that we issued that connect to challenge, which, by the way, nobody ever texted me to let me know who they were connecting with. And it got real quiet all of a sudden. Okay. And we issue those challenges, and the reason why we issue those challenges is because I want to be known as someone who pastors a larger church. No, that's not why. The reason is because you guys have relationships we don't have, and you have connections and influences that we don't have, and we issue challenges so that you will invite them to be a part of these things so that they might enter into the discipleship process. So that they might, don't you want a better life for the people around you? Not only earthly, but don't you want them to experience eternal life? Don't we want that for our children and our grandchildren and our neighbors and our coworkers? That's why we're doing what we're doing. And we need to make those connections. We do that through outreach. Uh, we, we've been working on trying to figure out how to get a regularly scheduled uh, consistent outreach. We tried a few things in the late summer, early fall, and it's just different things kind of make that not totally pan out. We have another thing that we're going to try hopefully in February, possibly, and we're trying to get to a place where we're consistently going out into our neighborhood and connecting with people, and the reason is because we want them here, and the reason why we want them here, is it to have a bigger church? No. Why do we want them here? We want them to enter into what? The discipleship process. We want them to be developed. Uh, also, you guys have relationships, like I mentioned, that, that we, we don't have. Okay? I'm probably never going to meet your coworkers. Okay? I'm probably never going to meet your neighbors either. Okay? And you might have some grandchildren I'm also never going to meet, but you will. You're going to encounter many of them in 15 days from now, right, when you meet for Christmas. And you have a relationship that you can leverage to try to get them here. And I, I want us to understand this. Like, when we say, please invite someone to church, I want us to understand why. Because we want them to be developed in their faith. And not because we want them just to simply become strong Christians. Because we want all that God has for them. Don't you want all that God has for the people in your life? We're giving them a good thing. I mean, if we walked up to someone and said, Listen, I would love to give you all that your heart desires, but I don't think you're interested. Would we say that? No. Now, is following Christ going to give us all that our hearts desires? Well, again, that's another thing that was offered in Scripture. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Now, we understand in context that means specific things, but Jesus 
satisfies every longing of every heart if we just knew how to walk in Him. And that's why it's not good enough just to invite people to church. Okay, because at some point, if they're not strong in their faith and they're not developing, they're going to realize that just coming to church services is not going to be what does it. It's a passionate, surrendered, trust-based relationship with Jesus Christ. And not everybody knows how to do that, and we need to teach people how to do that. Now, the advantage, there's disadvantages and advantages to these different approaches, and that's why we have all of those things. But I know that the, the I'm going to use an analogy. It's a football analogy. I know we can relate because we're Steelers fans. At least we're pretending for, like it right now. We're not sure how we feel about them. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? They, they, they're, they're having a winning season. They play two losing teams that you think, surely they're going to win these games. And they blow both of them like they did. Isn't that terrible? Okay. But if we believed the best in the Steelers and we wanted them to win, we would not want that offense to line up on the ball, on that ball, and just decide that each one of them are going to do whatever they want to do in that next play. No coordination to it. It's just this receiver is going to, he's going to run a deep route, and Kenny Pickett has no idea that's what he's going to run. And this offensive lineman is going to, going to push this way, and the other guy is going to push this way. And, and that running back has no idea where the opening is supposed to be. No coordination whatsoever. Would we think that we would want our football team to do that? No, we want them to all be in on what is it that we're doing? What, how are we coordinating this offensive play? And, let's, and, the, and the teams that coordinate those things, did you know that the teams that are most effective are not always the ones that have the most talent? They're often the ones that are most in sync with each other, and they're working together as a team. The same is true with like fast food. Have you ever walked into a fast food restaurant and you thought, I'm, I'm not getting any service here, and this is a mess. I might as well walk out, Right? Or you walk into other places and it's just amazing. Like, I, I don't know, I, like, I love Chick-fil-A. I know that some people don't like Chick-fil-A. I love Chick-fil-A. And part of the reason is because I've been to Chick-fil-A in Pennsylvania. I've been to Chick-fil-A in Ohio. I've been to Chick-fil-A in South Carolina. I've been to Chick-fil-A in North Carolina. Almost anywhere that I go to a Chick-fil-A, you know what I almost always get? Great service. I'm taken care of every time I walk in that room. And do you think that's because the eight or so team members that are back there don't have a coordinated plan on how they're going to do this? No, it becomes effective because they work together as a team. And I know that we can witness all on our own, right? We can go out into the world and we can witness to our family members in the, in the neighborhood. I know each one of us could minister to people and disciple on our own, and we can come up with our own plan. But the thing is, we will be far more effective if we decide to start coordinating our efforts and working together. And that might mean sometimes doing an idea that you didn't think was the best idea, okay? Because I don't know why that is. I don't know why that is that we, we think, I'm going to get in on it as long as it's my idea. Now, have you ever thought about that? But instead, we should decide, you know, I'm going to jump in. I, this isn't really perfect. This isn't exactly the way I would do it. But I'm going to work with the team. And I'm telling you, if we get together as one, what was Jesus' prayer in John 17? He prayed that we would be what? That we'd be one. It's the unity that we have with each other. And it's not just unity in that I'm not going to kill them and they're not going to kill me, so we're united. That's not what it is. It's we are going to work the plan together, the mission that God has for us, and we're going to achieve what God has for us. And we're going to do that by connecting, developing, and thriving. Don't you want that for, for your loved ones? Don't you want that for yourself? Then we need to start learning to work together. Will you stand with me, worship team? We come up here to lead us. And I, like I said, because this is more, in a way, conversational, I'm not going to give the typical altar call. But I want us to, to remember those three ideas. Connect, develop, thrive. Now, I know that we didn't put Jesus in those three words. But I hope that we understand what those three concepts mean. Because if I just simply say Jesus... That doesn't mean that people are going to get what it is that we're doing. There was a, there was a student in a, in a third grade Sunday school class, and, and the teacher was trying to get the kids to, to guess a description of a, of a thing that, that the teacher was describing. The teacher said, well, it's, it's small, it's furry, it has really big floppy ears. People think of this animal during, the, uh, during Easter season, and... 
do you guys know what that is? And one of the kids raised his hand and said, well, it must be Jesus because he's the answer for everything. <laughs> and though that is true, just simply saying Jesus does not communicate on its own what it is that we're trying to do. Okay, Just saying worship does not communicate what we're trying to do. But I'm hoping that these three words, connect, develop, thrive, at this point after our conversation, we know what we're supposed to do. In fact, I was talking with someone the other day who's kind of not in a church right now, and in my head I was thinking, how do I connect with this person? How do I, in this conversation, help develop this person? And, how, and I'm doing that because I want this person to thrive. And I think if we start living that way, I think we're going to see so many things happen. The, the first century church didn't see revival break out because they kept having services. The first century church didn't see revival break out because they were all studying their Bible. Do you know why they saw revival break out? Because they went out into the highways and byways and tried to reach every single person they could with com clearly communicating the gospel message. We can make such an impact if we just simply live this out. Amen? So next week we have a chance to do that. We have a Christmas brunch. And like I said, we're not just doing it because... We want some food and we want to eat. We're doing it because it's an opportunity to connect. And we want to connect with people so we can develop them. And we want to develop them so they thrive. And so please participate in, in inviting that in and bringing people with us next week. Amen? Amen? And give, and it will be given to you. Press down, shaken over, running over, filling over in my lap. Don't we want the goodness of God? It's going to be given to us according to the measure that we give with our own lives. So will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I ask that you would help us to become everything that you've called us to be. And Joe, you can begin to play something in the background as we conclude. Help us, Lord, to truly be in a trust-based relationship with you. You called us to go out into the world and make disciples. You called us, Lord, to be salt and light. Help us to live that out. And Lord, I know that, that we're not a perfect group of people. But anything is possible with God. And so I believe that if we all collectively join together to pursue the mission that you have for us as one, we will see great things happen. Great things in the life to come and great things in this life as well. And so we ask, Lord, that you would anoint us Unify us. Help us to live out this mission to connect, develop, and thrive because we want what you want for us. We want to abide in Christ so that you abide in us, Lord. We long for your work to be done in this earth, in Marshall Shadeland and beyond. Do it, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, love you guys. God bless you. And see you next week downstairs. Have a wonderful week.